Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Katie, and I went to bed at 4 a.m. I'm Ellen, and I went to bed at 2 a.m. and woke up early. This should be interesting. Yep. (laughs) Let's just keep rolling into the rolling rehash. Last week, we covered the second half of Chapter 18, the weighing of the wands, and the corresponding film scenes. In the book, the champions, the judges... Ollivander, and Bagman gathered for the weighing of the wands. In the movie, the champions gathered to be abused and photographed by Rita Skeeter. In both, Rita was a creepy trash human. In the book, Ollivander trash-talked the wands he didn't make. In the movie, (laughs) Wayne, there was no wand weighing or Ollivander, or Bagman for that matter. But in both, Harry gets a response from Sirius requesting a late-night meeting by the Gryffindor fire. During episode 84, Trash Rita, our Potter pondering was how would you handle an interview with Rita Skeeter? Carly said that she would have told her she didn't think it was appropriate to be alone with a 14-year-old in a small closet when she is a grown woman. Maybe she could have the next scoop on her being a predator. Diana said she'd tell her she gets nervous during interviews and asks if she minds if she lights a de-stress candle. (laughs) Bam! It's Citronella, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Max said he'd handle her. That quill would be writing unspeakable things. Data tracks. Mm Mm-hmm. Robert says he'd handle it pretty well. Rita. Hello, Mr. Griffey. Him. Rita. I'm going to stop you there. You're a hag. Nobody likes you. And if I see you snooping in your buggy form, I'm going to put you in a box, put that box inside another box, and that box in another, ship it to myself, and then smash it with a hammer. Hashtag no touchy. (laughs) (laughs) I love Robert. (laughs) Quincy said, Rita, how would your dead parents feel about you? Me. Bitch, are you dumb? Don't ever bring up my parents. I'll shove that stupid pen up your perpendicular putrid pussy, stupid ass bitch. Let me get out of this fucking cupboard before you make me mad. And take those tacky ass curls out of your hair. Before she makes him mad. I think that ship has sailed. Right? (laughs) Mike said, oh, not well at all. He'd probably go caps lock Harry at some point or refuse to speak or snap her quick quotes quill in half and put that mop bucket on her head. She's one of those people that's an absolute terror and then acts like everyone else is being unreasonable when they point out she's being a bitch. The original gaslighter. Mm -hmm. Dave said Rita Skeeter is a twat. Hashtag stolen from Carly. And Carly responded to say it was the headline in the Daily Prophet. Russell said that he would really just call her out on her bullshit. Like, leave him alone. Jackson said he'd simply tell her no comment. Then he'd speak to someone from the Quibbler and give an interview where he talks about how gutter journalists like Rita give them all a bad name. Because Jackson is, in fact, a journalist. Mm-hmm. He knows his shit. Yep. Amanda said she'd never voluntarily put herself in that position to begin with. If she had to interact with her, she'd insist she put that damn quick quotes quill away. Kenneth simply said, no comment. Have a nice day. 
Juliana said she'd be too nervous to say something she'll twist against her, so she'd also say no comment. Have a nice day. Emma said she'd put an enchantment on herself so her mouth would move with the words, but no sound would come out. <laughs> she'd be really animated, so it looked like she was giving really exciting and salacious answers, and Rita would be so annoyed. <laughs> you all exceeded expectations for this pondering. I love it. Mm -hmm. Our trivia question was... What were Ron and Harry forced to do during their two-hour detention in Snape's dungeon? Harry and Ron were forced to pickle rats' brains for two hours in Snape's dungeon. And that's just fucking nasty. Yeah. Like, ew. Ew, David. Ew, David. Ew, Severus. <laughs> <laughs> just to fill that reference in, every time we get a message from someone in our patron group chat, Katie's phone says, ew, David. <laughs> So I hear it all the time now. Well, you know what? I say blame the group because we're so damn active. That's true. It's fun. It's a fun problem to have. Yes. <laughs> anyway, congratulations goes to Mike Riley. Woohoo! That makes five weeks in a row. We will see if he keeps it up. But for now, let's just keep rolling into chapter 19, the Hungarian Horntail, and the corresponding film scenes that absolutely exist, though in the wrong order. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Chapter 19 The Hungarian Horn Tale Harry survived the next two weeks by focusing on the only bright spot on a dark horizon. He would get a chance to talk face to face with Sirius. The shock of being named a school champion is starting to wear off and is being replaced with the fear of what's to come as the first task draws nearer. His nerves are even worse than they were for the Quidditch final against Slytherin, and he's having a very difficult time focusing on the future beyond the task. He's not sure how talking to Sirius will make him feel any better, but the prospect of a friendly face is better than nothing. He wrote him back, letting him know he would be beside the common room fire at the time Sirius suggested, and he and Hermione plotted ways to get rid of stragglers, deciding to drop a bag of dung bombs if worse came to worse. If things weren't already bad enough for Harry, Rita Skeeter's article came out, and it was more of a colorful life story on Harry than an article about the Triwizard Tournament. She only mentioned Fleur and Victor at the very end, with both of their names misspelled, and didn't even include Cedric at all. Even after 10 days, the article still makes Harry feel sick to his stomach because she had made up a bunch of things he never said and even interviewed other people about him. Colin Creevy mentioned that Harry is nearly always with Hermione, and Rita twisted that into declaring that Harry had found love at Hogwarts. People, Slytherins mostly, keep making fun of him for the article, and Harry accidentally snaps at Cho when she tries to tell him that he dropped his quill. Harry blushes and apologizes, and Cho wishes him good luck on Tuesday, which leaves Harry feeling incredibly stupid. Hermione has been dealing with unpleasantness from the article as well, but Harry thinks she's handling it much better than he is, as she just ignores it and recommends that Harry does too. Harry doesn't feel he can ignore it, because Ron hasn't spoken to him since mentioning their detention with Snape, and the article just seemed to make him more sure that Harry is enjoying all the attention. Their attitudes towards one another is making Hermione furious because she still can't convince either one to talk to the other. 
She tries to point out that Harry misses Ron, and even though he knows that's true, he still tries to deny it. Harry really likes Hermione, but there's a lot less laughter and a lot more time in the library when she is his best friend. He seems to have developed a block about summoning charms, and as a result, Hermione has him spending lunchtimes reading books about the theory of the charm. Strangely, Victor Crumb is also spending a lot of time in the library, which bothers Hermione because he's often followed by a group of giggling girls and she finds the noise distracting. Complaining that he isn't even good-looking, they just like him because he's famous. She says they wouldn't look at him twice if he couldn't do the wonky faint thing, and Harry feels another pang as he imagines Ron's reaction to Hermione talking about wonky faints. As the first task draws nearer, time seems to be speeding up and Harry is barely holding in his panic. There's a Hogsmeade trip scheduled for the students' third year and up on the Saturday before the first task, and Hermione suggests they go to get Harry away from the castle for a bit. She thinks they can maybe meet up with Ron at the Three Broomsticks, and Harry agrees to go but refuses to meet up with Ron and also insists that he's going to wear his invisibility cloak. Hermione isn't happy about this but accepts it, and they head off to Hogsmeade after Harry puts his cloak on in the dormitory. Wearing the cloak frees him from the horrible remarks, though it does make Hermione feel like everyone is looking at her since she appears to be talking to herself. She tries to convince him to take the cloak off, but he refuses and points out Rita Skeeter and her photographer exiting the three broomsticks. They walk right past them and Harry has to back into a wall to avoid being hit by her purse. He mentions that she's staying in the village to come to the first task and feels a wave of panic thinking about it. Hermione suggests they go into the three broomsticks for a butterbeer, irritably reassuring him that he doesn't have to talk to Ron. The pub is packed and difficult to maneuver in an invisibility cloak, but he makes his way into a table as Hermione goes to get them both drinks. Harry notices Ron sitting with Fred George and Lee Jordan and stops himself from poking him in the back of the head. Hermione reaches the table and slips the butterbeer under his cloak, complaining that she looks like an idiot sitting by herself, but pulling out her SPEW notebook to look like she's working on stuff. She considers getting villagers involved, and Harry wonders when she's going to give up on the spew stuff. She insists it won't be until house elves have decent wages and working conditions, and wonders how to get into the school kitchen. Harry suggests she asks Fred and George, and they both fall silent, watching the cheerful and relaxed people around the pub. He notices Cho sitting nearby, and is slightly cheered to see she isn't wearing a Cedric badge, but really wishes that he could just be one of the relaxed people, excited about the first task, still friends with Ron, and safe. He wonders how the other champions are feeling, and slightly eases the tension in his chest by remembering that he will be talking to Sirius in about 12 hours. Hermione interrupts his thoughts by pointing out Hagrid, who had been hunched over talking to Professor Moody, who was drinking from his usual hip flask. Madame Rosmerda didn't seem to think much about this, but Harry knows it's because Moody prefers to prepare his own food and drink to minimize the possibility of it being poisoned by a dark wizard. He watches them both get up in waves before remembering Hagrid can't see him under the cloak. But Moody pauses and taps Hagrid's shoulder. After muttering to him, the two teachers make their way towards Harry and Hermione's table. Hagrid says hi to Hermione, and Moody leans forward and pretends to look at Hermione's notebook as he mutters, 
Nice cloak, Potter. Harry is shocked to realize his eye can see through the invisibility cloak, and then Hagrid smiles and leans in as well, whispering for Harry to wear his cloak and meet him at his cabin at midnight. They both say bye to Hermione and head out, leaving Harry to wonder out loud why Hagrid wants him to meet him at midnight. Hermione isn't sure if Harry should go since it might make him late to meet Sirius, but Harry is very curious and figures he just better be quick at whatever Hagrid wants. He pretends to go to bed early and at half past 11, he puts on his cloak and sneaks back down the stairs. There are still a lot of people in the common room, including the Creevy brothers, who are trying to improve the support Cedric Diggory badges, but have only managed to get them stuck on Potter Stinks. He creeps past them and waits for Hermione to open the portrait hole for him from the outside as they planned. He makes his way through the castle and over the dark grounds, passing the Bobaton's carriage and then knocking on Hagrid's door. Hagrid answers it, makes sure that it's Harry there, and then tells him that he has something to show him. He looks extremely excited and, again, tried to comb his hair. Though he didn't use the axle grease this time, he had but a large flower in his buttonhole. Harry is wary of what it could be, but follows Hagrid into the night. They stop at the Bobaton carriage, but before Harry can ask why, Hagrid shushes him and knocks on the door. Madame Maxine opens it, smiles at Hagrid, and asks if it's time. He smiles back and helps her down the stairs, and Harry has to run to keep up with them as they walk around the perimeter of the forest. Harry is starting to get annoyed and worried that he's going to be late for Sirius, but they eventually hear men shouting and then a deafening roar. Coming to a halt, Harry's mouth drops open as he realizes there are four fully grown, vicious-looking dragons shooting fire from their mouths, fenced in an enclosure. About 30 wizards are trying to control them, and one of them yells for Hagrid to keep back since they can shoot at a range of 20 feet and he's seen the horn tail do 40. One of the dragon keepers yells for them all to do stunning spells, and with all of them together, they manage to stun the dragon so they can tighten the chains and secure them to iron pegs. Hagrid asks if Madame Maxime wants a closer look, and Harry follows them as they move closer to the fence. He recognizes the one wizard as Ron's brother Charlie, who comes over to talk to Hagrid, who is very excited and wants to know what breeds they have there. Charlie points out the Hungarian Horntail, the common Welsh green, the blue-gray Swedish short snout, and the red Chinese fireball. He comments on the fact that Hagrid brought Madame Maxime, sure she's going to tell her student, but Hagrid says that he thought she'd like to see them. Charlie calls it a really romantic date before Hagrid asks if the champions have to fight the dragon, and he responds that he thinks they just have to get past them, and that they had specifically requested nesting mothers. He also mentions that he doesn't envy whoever gets the horn tail because her back end is as dangerous as the front, and he points out some long bronze spikes on the tail. Hagrid then notices the dragon eggs and gives a moan of longing, prompting Charlie to sternly tell him that he's got them counted. He asks after Harry and says that he hopes he's still fine after facing the dragons, mentioning that his mom is already freaking out about him being in the tournament, so he didn't dare mention what the first task is. When he starts talking about her reaction to Rita Skeeter's article, Harry decides that he's had enough and heads back to the castle to meet with Sirius. 
On his way, he distractedly bumps into Karkaroff, who has clearly followed Hagrid and Maxime to see what they're up to. He carefully creeps away to avoid being discovered and makes his way back to the castle, realizing that Cedric will be the only champion who doesn't know about the dragons. He reaches the fat lady with less than five minutes to spare, gives the password, and climbs inside, finding the common room deserted without the use of dung bombs. He pulls off the invisibility cloak and sits by the fire to wait. He looks around, seeing the badges the Creevy brothers had been working on, which now say Potter really stinks. Then back at the fire and is shocked to see Sirius's head sitting in the fireplace. Though, since he had previously seen Mr. Diggory's head like this in the Weasley's kitchen, it doesn't scare him and he smiles and crouches down by the hearth to ask how he is. Sirius tells him never mind him and instead asks how Harry is doing. Harry tries to say fine, but instead breaks down and talks about how no one believes he didn't enter, the awful article, Ron's jealousy, and Hagrid showing him that the first task is dragons. Sirius reassures him that they can deal with dragons, but says they haven't got long and he really has to warn him about Karkaroff being a Death Eater. He was caught by Moody, but made a deal with the Ministry of Magic to get him released, and that's likely why Dumbledore wanted Moody at Hogwarts this year, to keep an eye on him. Harry wonders if Karkaroff put his name in the goblet, saying that he's a really good actor if he did because he seemed furious. Sirius says he's definitely a good actor, but then continues on with his next warning, mentioning keeping an eye on the Daily Prophet and reading between the lines of Rita Skeeter's article about the attack on Mad-Eye Moody. Sirius thinks someone tried to stop him from getting to Hogwarts. He also mentions the Death Eaters at the Quidditch World Cup, the Dark Mark, and the Ministry of Magic Witch who has gone missing, Bertha Jorkins. Sirius says she disappeared in Albania, which is where Voldemort was last rumored to be, and she would have definitely known about the Triwizard Tournament. Harry thinks it isn't very likely she would have walked right into Voldemort, but Sirius says that he knew Bertha and she would have been easy to lure into a trap. Harry speculates that if Voldemort knew about the tournament, then Karkaroff could be there on his orders but Sirius isn't sure that Karkaroff would go back to Voldemort unless he knew he was powerful enough to protect him. But he does think that whoever put Harry's name in the goblet did it for a reason, like to attack him and make it look like an accident. Harry thinks it's a good plan because they can just stand back and let the dragons do their thing, and Sirius starts to talk about a simple spell to overcome a dragon. But before he can tell Harry about it, they hear someone coming down the stairs and Sirius has to quickly leave the fire. Harry watches as Ron comes down the spiral staircase and wonders who Harry was talking to. Furious that he didn't get to hear how to get past a dragon, he snarls that it's got nothing to do with him and asks what he's even doing there. Ron starts to say he wondered where Harry was, but shrugs and instead says nothing. He's going to go back to bed, but Harry starts shouting at him for nosing around. Ron's face reddens, and he tells him he will let him get on with practicing for his next interview in peace. Harry seizes a Potter Really Stinks badge from the table and chucks it at Ron, hitting him right in the head, and telling him that it's something for him to wear on Tuesday, and maybe he will even have a scar now if he's lucky. He storms upstairs, half expecting Ron to stop him or throw a punch, but he just stands there. Harry lies awake for a long time after and doesn't even hear him come back up to bed.
The movie section starts out with Harry walking down the steps from the boys' dormitories into the Gryffindor common room. He looks around and whispers Sirius's name, unsure of how he is going to be meeting him there. Noticing an article in the Daily Prophet, he is briefly distracted as he picks it up and sees a picture of himself on the front page. He unfolds the article and Rita Skeeter's voiceover begins to read the article about him out loud. Still saying that he is age 12 and calling him a suspect entrant in the Triwizard Tournament. As she mentions his eyes swimming with the ghosts of his past, Harry crumples up the newspaper and throws it into the lit fireplace. He angrily turns away from it, but looks back when he hears a hissing sound from the fire. The camera focuses on the flaming logs as they spark and make a hissing noise again. Harry moves closer and is shocked to see Sirius Black's face appear in the embers. Though he asks Sirius how he is able to appear in the fire, his godfather explains that he doesn't have much time and needs to get straight to it. He asks Harry if he put his name in the Goblet of Fire, and after Harry responds with an emphatic no, he says that he had to ask. Sirius then goes on to ask for more details about Harry's dream, saying he mentioned Wormtail and Voldemort, but wondering who the third man was. Harry said that he doesn't know and confirms that he never heard a name, but does recollect that Voldemort was giving him an important job to do. When Sirius asks what that was, Harry reluctantly divulges that Voldemort wanted to use that man to get to Harry for something. He says he doesn't know what, but then asks for reassurance that it was only a dream. Sirius isn't sure that it was just a dream, since there were Death Eaters at the World Cup and Harry's name was entered in the tournament. He tells him that they aren't just coincidences, and Hogwarts isn't safe anymore because Igor Karkaroff is there, and he was a Death Eater. He also mentions Barty Crouch's Heart of Stone, saying he sent his own son to Azkaban. They are interrupted by a noise that causes Harry to look up the stairs, but he then turns back to the fire and asks Sirius if he thinks that one of them put his name in the goblet. Sirius says that he hasn't got a clue who put his name in the goblet, but says whoever it was is no friend to him because people die in the tournament. Harry shakes his head and nervously says that he isn't ready for it, and Sirius tells him that he hasn't got a choice. Harry turns and looks at the stairs a second time as he hears a noise again, and this time there is a shadow coming down them. He tells Sirius someone is coming, and Sirius's voice fades away as he tells Harry to keep his friends close. Ron comes down the stairs wondering who Harry is talking to, but Harry tells him that he wasn't talking to anyone. Ron says that he heard voices, and Harry replies that he may be imagining things. It wouldn't be the first time. Ron sneers and accuses Harry of practicing for his next interview before turning and heading back up the stairs. Harry rushes back to the fire, but Sirius is already gone, so he just watches as the flames engulf the Daily Prophet article about him. The scene cuts to Harry sitting against a tree next to the lake as Neville stands knee-deep in the water, repeatedly declaring something to be amazing. Harry tells him that he's doing it again, and Neville apologizes. Changing the subject, Harry reads the title of the book he is holding, Magical Water Plants of the Highland Locks, and Neville explains that Moody gave it to him, that day they had tea. He then waves to someone behind Harry, and Harry turns to see Ron, Hermione, and Ginny approaching. Hermione is bickering with Ron about telling Harry himself, and Harry looks wary of their arrival. He stands up to greet them, and after a whisper from Ron, Hermione steps closer to tell him that Ronald would like her to tell him that Seamus told him that Dean was told by Pravati that Hagrid was looking for him. Harry initially starts to sass a response back, but hesitates when he realizes he has no idea what Hermione just said, and instead asks, What? 
Hermione walks back over to Ron, and the two whisper again before she returns to Harry and attempts to repeat the message. She gives up, asking him not to make her say it again, and just reiterates that Hagrid is looking for him. Harry starts to tell her what she can tell Ron, but she angrily cuts him off to point out that she is not an owl. She turns away and puts an arm on Ginny's shoulders to go with her. As the two girls walk off, Ron hesitates for a moment, looking at Harry, but then turns and follows after them. The scene transitions to a wide shot at night, with Hagrid carrying a lantern as he and Harry walk through the forest and he confirms that Harry brought his father's cloak like he asked him to. Harry wants to know where they are going, and the camera focuses on Hagrid as he tells him to pay attention because it's important. Hagrid is wearing a Harry brown suit with an orange flower, and Harry wants to know why, also noting that he has combed his hair. Hagrid defensively says that he has, and suggests that Harry try the same thing now and again. They continue walking until a roaring sound causes them to stop dead in their tracks. They look around the apparently empty woods, but then hear Madame Maxime's voice call out for Hagrid. He begins to move towards the sound and stops to look back at Harry and tell him to put the cloak on. Harry covers himself, and Invisible follows after Hagrid as he meets up with the French headmistress. He makes a disgusted face from under the cloak as the two teachers flirt with each other, and Madame Maxime asks what he was so exhilarated to show her. Hagrid tells her that she will be glad she came, and leads her and an invisible Harry through the forest where some men are attending to large crates that appear to be breathing fire. Madame Maxine calls them magnifique and moves for a closer look, giving Harry an opportunity to remove the cloak from his head and apprehensively ask Hagrid about the first task being dragons. Hagrid calls them seriously misunderstood creatures as the sides of one of the crates fall, revealing a caged dragon that breathes a huge burst of flames. Hagrid says that he does have to admit that Hungarian horntail is a right nasty piece of work, adding on that Ron nearly fainted just seeing them. Harry's scared face turns to confusion as he asks Hagrid about Ron being there, and Hagrid explains that Ron's brother Charlie brought the dragons over from Romania, assuming that Ron would have told him that. Harry sullenly tells Hagrid that Ron didn't tell him a thing, and Hagrid looks at him questioningly, until they are both preoccupied by another large burst of flames from the dragon. So, the book and the movie do correspond here, with the usual streamlining of details, but the movie basically puts everything in the wrong order. Yep. The movie scene started where the book chapter ended, and ended where the book chapter middled, on top of that, they completely changed the details of the middle of the movie scene, which was actually the beginning of the book chapter. What started where it ended, ended where it middled, and middled where it began. I don't know what. The movie section that corresponds with chapter 19 of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Well, that shit's confusing. <laughs> We're going to organize this episode by following along the timeline from the book chapter and discuss the movie section as it corresponds. Because what else can we do? Honestly, it's getting more and more difficult every episode. <laughs> I would have wanted to split this into two sections if I could have figured out how to evenly split the movie and not have it put it backwards. And I was like, my brain won't let me do that. I'm too OCD. So <laughs> here we are. You're going to get an extra long episode probably. Mm -hmm. Enjoy. The book chapter starts off telling us that focusing on getting to talk to his dog father is the only thing that helps Harry survive the next couple of weeks. He's pretty much gotten used to the idea that he's a quad wizard champion and is starting to stress about the upcoming task. Even more so than he did for the Quidditch final against Slytherin. 
It seems that all he can think about is what could happen in the task, and his future beyond that is blank. Awkward. Yeah. He doesn't really see how talking to Sirius is actually going to make him feel better, but he is looking forward to a friendly face. He wrote him back, accepting the time and place of meeting, and he and Hermione planned to make sure the common room was empty when the time came, ready to drop a bag of dung bombs if necessary, despite how angry that will make Filch. Or also because of how angry that would make Filch. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> If Ron were in on it, definitely. Yes. If the twins were in on it, 100%. If the twins were in on it, it would have been their idea. <laughs> <laughs> they would have done it for Harry. Yes. <laughs> to add to Harry's anxiety, the article Rita Skeeter wrote came out and it was full of embarrassing things Harry has never said in his life, let alone in the broom cupboard with Skeeter. It also barely mentioned Fleur and Victor and even then only at the end with misspelled names and left Cedric out entirely. The article is briefly mentioned in the film scene at the start when a very confused Harry is sneaking down to the common room from his dorm looking for his dog father and having no idea how Sirius plans to meet him there. Harry calls his name but feels like a right dumbass when he gets no answer but continues to look around for any sign of life. Which is not how the book chapter started. No. No. But that's pretty par for the course right now. <laughs> He is briefly distracted by a copy of the Daily Prophet left sitting on the arm of a chair. He picks it up and sees a picture of himself posing for the camera like a superhero douchebag and briefly wonders if wizarding cameras always add 10 pounds of twat to every photo. <laughs> I mean, he did look like a twat in that picture. So. Well, normally Harry in pictures would like run off the side and refuse to stay right? in it. So it didn't fit that he was like posing. Exactly. I don't like it. That's why. You're not supposed to like it. It's fake and puffed up, just like the article, <laughs> basically. <laughs> he unfolds the paper and sees what was supposed to be an article about all of the champions has turned into a two-page spread about him with a small blurb in the middle about the other three. Rita Skeeter's voiceover begins to read the article about him out loud, once again referring to him as 12 and calling him a suspect entrant in the competition. She pulls out the big guns for sentence number two and mentions his eyes swimming with the ghosts of his past. And Harry decides he's had enough of this bitch's Harlequin bullshit prose and crumples up the newspaper before chucking it into the fireplace where it can die like all the gossip going around about him. Kill it with fire! Kill it! Kill it with fire! Ten days later, the article still, understandingly, makes Harry feel nauseous. Especially since she even interviewed other people about him and she used Colin Creeby's interview to declare that Harry had found love at Hogwarts, as he's always in the company of the stunningly pretty Hermione Granger. Oh. People, mostly Slytherins, <laughs> keep giving Harry a hard time and he's getting so frustrated that he snaps at Cho before realizing that she'd called after him just to let him know he dropped his quill. I mean, sure. Embarrassed, he apologizes, and she wishes him good luck on Tuesday, leaving him feeling extremely stupid. I mean, he's 14, so he's going to feel extremely stupid most of the time anyway, but I'm sure that doesn't help. I just snapped at my crush. <laughs> she wished me good luck, though. Cho-ching! <laughs> Hermione had been doing much better than Harry handling the insults she's been receiving because of the article, such as Pansy wondering if they were comparing her to a chipmunk to call her stunningly pretty. Bitch. Right? 
Especially since Pansy gets compared to a pug, like pretty much every description of her. Right, I was going to say, she's not much of a looker her damn self, is she? Hermione tells Harry that she should just ignore the articles, and Harry thinks this is easier said than done, especially since Ron still isn't speaking to him, and the article just seemed to make him even more sure that Harry's enjoying all the attention. His attitude towards Harry is definitely referenced in the movie, especially with a lot of glares and general refusal to speak to him. Their attitudes towards one another is making Hermione furious, and she has super awkward conversations trying to get them to talk to one another. She tries to convince Harry that he misses Ron, but Harry prefers to live in complete denial land about that. He doesn't miss Ron. He's got Hermione. Even though being friends with Hermione means a lot less joking around and a lot more library time. Especially since Harry has seemed to develop a block about summoning charms. The summoning charm isn't remotely mentioned in the film. It'll get used later, which we'll talk about in an upcoming episode, but there's no setup for it at all. Yeah, it plays a pretty big role in the books, too. Mm-hmm. Hermione has him in the library reading up on the theories behind the summoning charm because she thinks it'll help. For some reason, Victor Crumb is also spending a lot of time in the library, and this bothers Hermione because a group of giggling girls, a giggle of girls, if you will, <laughs> A gaggle of giggles? No, a giggle of girls. <laughs> <laughs> Basically always shows up right after him and she finds them extremely distracting. That would annoy the hell out of me. Yeah. She complains that Crumb isn't even good looking. They just like him because he's famous and they wouldn't look at him twice if he couldn't do the wonky faint thing. <laughs> and this just makes Harry even more upset, not because he actually cares that much about getting Quidditch terms correct, but because he imagines Ron's reaction to Hermione talking about wonky faints. <laughs> I mean, at least she tries. She was close. Yeah. So missing a couple of letters. I Misspelled mean... faint. It's meh. <laughs> the closer they get to the first task, the harder it is for Harry to manage his panic. There's a Hogsmeade trip planned for the Saturday before the task, and Hermione thinks they should go to get Harry away from the castle for a bit. She also suggests maybe meeting up with Ron at the Three Broomsticks, and Harry agrees to go, but says hell no to meeting up with Ron, and insists that he's going to wear his invisibility cloak. Considering all the attention he's getting, and most of it's not good attention in any way, shape, or form, I kind of understand. I do too. Like, I would totally put that invisibility cloak on. Yeah. Hermione isn't pleased, but she accepts it. And she and an invisible Harry head off to Hogsmeade. Wearing the cloak allows him to avoid all of those horrible remarks. Mm -hmm. But it makes Hermione feel like everyone's looking at her instead since she appears to be talking to herself. She tries to convince Harry to take off the cloak, but he refuses, and then uses the appearance of Rita Skeeter and her photographer as a good reason not to. They had just left the three broomsticks and walk right past them without realizing Harry is even there, which makes sense since he is invisible. It'd be weird if she didn't walk right past him right. at that point. <laughs> Harry figures that she's staying in the village for the first task, and the thought washes a wave of panic over him. Hermione suggests they go into the three broomsticks for a butterbeer, irritably reassuring him that he doesn't have to talk to Ron. I mean, he is invisible, so... Right. <laughs> the packed pub is difficult to maneuver in an invisibility cloak, but Harry makes his way to a table while Hermione goes to order them drinks. He notices Ron sitting with Fred George and Lee Jordan and resists poking him in the back of the head, because he's mature. Well, yeah. 
When Hermione reaches the table, she slips the butterbeer under his cloak and pulls out her SPEW notebook to look like she's working on stuff instead of just sitting by herself. She considers getting the villagers involved, and Harry asks when she's going to give up on that spew stuff. She insists, S-P-E-W, and she insists that it won't be until house elves have decent wages and working conditions, and wonders how to get into the school kitchens. Harry says that he doesn't know and that she should ask Fred and George. They fall silent and Harry people watches for a bit, noticing Cho sitting nearby. He's slightly cheered to see she isn't wearing a Cedric badge. Cho Cheng! But really wishes he was one of the relaxed people, excited about the first task, not a quad wizard champion. He would still be friends with Ron, he wouldn't be stressed out, and he'd be safe. I mean, is Harry ever really safe? He'd be safer. (laughs) There we go. He wonders if the other champions are feeling similarly and then calms down a little when he remembers that he'll be talking to his dog father in about 12 hours. Unless you're watching the movie, in which case he already technically has. And also isn't in Hogsmeade. (laughs) There's that as well, definitely. Hermione interrupts his thoughts by pointing out Hagrid who he hadn't seen since he'd been hunched over talking to Professor Moody, who was drinking out of his hip flask because they're keeping that going for some reason. Hmm, wonder if that's a thing. Right? Hmm. He watches them both get up and waves at Hagrid, then feels like an idiot since he's invisible. (laughs) Moody pauses, taps Hagrid's shoulder, and mutters to him. The two teachers head towards Harry and Hermione's table. Hagrid says hi to Hermione, but Moody leans forward and pretends to look at Hermione's notebook as he mutters, Nice cloak, Potter. Oh, shit! Plot twist! Harry is surprised to realize Moody's mad eye can see through the invisibility cloak, but is distracted when Hagrid leans in and tells Harry to wear his cloak and meet him at his cabin at midnight. Then they both say bye to Hermione and head out, leaving Harry to wonder why Hagrid wants him to meet him at midnight. Hermione doesn't think it's a good idea for Harry to go since it might make him late to meet Sirius, but Harry is very curious it's something new to meddle in and figures he can just be quick at whatever Hagrid wants. I mean, how do you not meddle, right? It's Harry, come on. So not a bit of this happens in the movie. But the same point is gotten across in the film when the scene cuts to Harry sitting against a tree while Neville nerds out in the lake. After repeatedly declaring something to be amazing, Harry gets annoyed and tells Neville to knock that shit out. Amazing! Right? I would too. I'd be like, dude, seriously. If you're not going to tell me what's up, shut the fuck up. Moving on, Harry reads the title of the book he is holding. Magical Water Plants of the Highland Locks. Not the Mediterranean like in the book. Like, what the fuck is even the point of that change? I have no idea. It doesn't make any sense. Did they just happen to already find a book that was called Magical Water Plants of the Highland Locks and think, hey, it's close enough, we could just use this as a prop? I mean, even if they did, that is not a good enough reason to randomly change the name of a book for no other other reason. reason. That doesn't make Mm -hmm. any sense. I'm not okay. Oh, it's such a stupid change. I know we have bigger fish to fry when it comes to changes in this movie, But when they're just so little and stupid and random like that, it's almost more irritating. There's no reason for it. There's literally no, like, it's not one of those things that we can explain away like, oh, cinematography. Oh, well, you can't hear Harry's thoughts in the movie films. Oh, well, and they needed to streamline this or the movie would have been 17 hours long. No, it makes no sense whatsoever. Exactly. Oh, Noel. Noel. (laughs) 
Anyway, in regards to that book, Neville explains that Moody gave it to him that day that he was further emotionally scarred by yet another teacher. Poor Neville. Aww. He then waves to someone and Harry turns to see Ron and Hermione approaching with Ginny in tow. Which, I don't like that Ginny is just this little sidekick to Hermione. I mean, there is a part in the book where she's having lunch with Hermione. I think they are actually friends. Yeah, but they're not coming off as friends. Like, Hermione's leading her places. It's like they just wanted to include her. Yeah. Like, well, we need her later on in this movie, so we'll just throw (laughs) her in this scene here. I mean, none of this happened in the book anyway, so it's all just like, free for all. That is true. You all. You all. In case I haven't mentioned it yet. Anyway, Hermione is telling Ron to quit being such a little bitch and tell Harry something himself. Harry looks understandably wary of their arrival, but still stands to greet them. Hermione argues further with Ron, but eventually gives up and turns to Harry, telling him that Ronald would like her to tell him that Seamus told him that Dean was told by Parvati that Hagrid is looking for him. If they were going to do this scene, I kind of wish they threw in a little bit more. Yeah. Because honestly, when you look at that written out, it's not anywhere near as confusing as it initially comes across. It's pretty straightforward. Right. Really. Okay, so Seamus told Dean that Parvati told him that Haggard was looking for him. Okay. Yeah. No big deal. Throw in a couple more names. Just really, if you're going to go for it, just fucking go for it. Right. Also, I have to say, why not just say, hey, Harry, Haggard's looking for you. (laughs) Cut everything out. (laughs) Why does it have to be such a big fucking deal? I mean, it's Ron and he's being a drama queen, but come on. Either commit (laughs) or just skip to the chase. Exactly. But this is kind of one of the references that you mentioned about how the movie is showing that Ron is not speaking to Harry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes sense if that's what they're trying to show, obviously, but it still just seems so unnecessary, I guess. Just like us. Harry gets immediately defensive (laughs) and he begins to retort, but then realizes he has no clue what was just said. He asks for clarification and Hermione attempts to pull Ron's head out of his ass so he can tell Harry himself, but that sucker is really wedged in there. So Hermione returns to Harry and attempts to repeat the message. She eventually just says, fuck this, go see Hagrid. Like she should have in the first place. Right. Harry begins to respond with something super witty and original because that's usually what happens when someone starts a sentence with, oh yeah, well, (laughs) I mean, it's always a real burn right after that. I'll tell you what. But Hermione's done playing telephone and snaps at Harry that she is not an owl, despite being exactly that when Ron asks. She leads Ginny away in a huff, and Ron lingers a moment, staring Harry down before also turning and walking away. I just imagined Harry being like, oh yeah, well, you go tell Ron that my balls said suck him. <laughs> <laughs> See, that would have been okay. <laughs> I would have accepted that. <laughs> so... Definitely very different from the book. Mm-hmm. But Harry now knows that he needs to go meet up with Hagrid, so that's the same at least, I guess. I mean, yeah, we got there a different way, but we still got there, I suppose. In the book, he pretends to go to bed early and then puts on his cloak to sneak back downstairs at half past 11. 
The common room is still fairly crowded, and Harry sneaks past the Creevy brothers who are trying to improve the support Cedric Diggory badges. However, they have only managed to get them stuck on Potter Stinks. I mean, that's par for the course. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those crazy Creevies. Harry waits for Hermione to open the portrait hole from the outside, as they planned, and thanks her as he sneaks past. He makes his way through the castle and over the grounds to get to Hagrid's. He knocks on the door and Hagrid answers, checking to make sure that the no one who appears at the door is in fact Harry under his cloak. I mean, probably the right thing to do. He's extremely excited and had once again tried to comb his hair, though he didn't use axle grease this time. It was just combed. He had also put a large flower in his buttonhole, so Hagrid's looking pretty fancy. Looking a little spiffy. Harry's unsure of why Hagrid wanted him to meet him, but follows him out onto the dark grounds. This part of the movie scene just starts with Hagrid and Harry walking through the forest at night, since Harry has had so many great memories of doing just that. (laughs) It's never backfired on him before, trust me. Hagrid makes sure that Harry brought his invisibility cloak like he asked him to, and Harry just wants to know where the fuck they're going. Understandably. Hagrid, master of suspense that he is, somehow actually manages to not blurt out, Holy fuck, we're gonna see some dinos! Giant sky lizards! Woohoo! <laughs> Similarly to the book, Hagrid is wearing his lovely hairy brown suit with an orange flower, and Harry questions the fashion choice as being mm, somewhat impractical for a midnight hike, while also noting that this dapper bastard has attempted to tame his quaff as well. Looking pretty spiffy there, Hagrid. (laughs) You combed your hair. (laughs) Hagrid brings out the sass and tells Harry that it wouldn't kill him to attempt the same thing, reading the minds of everyone watching this movie. (laughs) Harry needs a haircut. The horrid hairy hair. Oh, such horrid hairy hair. In the book, they stop at the Bobaton carriage. But before Harry can ask why, Hagrid shushes him and knocks on the door. Madame Maxime opens it, smiles at Hagrid, and asks if it's time. He responds with bong sewer, and I still don't know what that means. (laughs) Bonsoir. Good evening in French. Oh my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness, that's hilarious. He was trying. (laughs) That is the cutest thing that I have ever heard, and I'm so glad that you pointed that out to me. <laughs> well, because he says it in the movie, but he actually says bonsoir. Bonsoir, Roland. It said bong sewer in the book, it's, it's... and that has confused me for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> so you learn something new every day. Thank you for that. I wish they would have done it like that in the movie, because yeah. that would have been hilarious. And then I would have understood it sooner. Well, there's that too. Yes, definitely. <laughs> But he also smiles and helps her down the stairs, and Harry has to run to keep up with them as they walk around the perimeter of the forest. In the movie, they don't fetch Madame Maxime. Instead, they hear a super horrid roaring sound and both stop dead in their tracks to look around. Harry looking scared while Hagrid looks... little like he's about to wet himself with excitement. (laughs) When they hear the dulcet-accented tones of Madame Maxime calling Hagrid's name... Hagrid definitely wets himself before telling Harry to put on his cloak. In the book, he was already covered with the cloak. Just saying. And I think Hagrid wishes he was too. (laughs) (laughs) 
Once covered, he follows after Hagrid as he greets the French headmistress in an adorable attempt at her home language. Bong sewer. Bong sewer. <laughs> Harry vomits in his mouth at the sight of the two teachers flirting, but really, let's all be honest, it's sweet as fuck. <laughs> You're so cute. <laughs> Maxime asks what he wanted to show her since he sounded so exhilarated about it. Exhilarated. Exhilarated. Book Harry is starting to get annoyed and worried that he's going to be late for Sirius, but they eventually hear men shouting and then a deafening roar. Coming to a halt, Harry's mouth drops open as he realizes there are four fully grown, vicious-looking dragons shooting fire from their mouths. Like they do. Like they do. <laughs> fenced in an enclosure. Similarly, in the movie, Hagrid tells her that she will be glad she came and leads her and Invisiharry into the forest until they come across a group of men attempting to control four large crates that appear to be shooting fire. About 30 wizards are trying to control them, and one of them yells for Hagrid to keep back, since they can shoot fire at a range of 20 feet, and he's seen the horn tail do 40. Then another dragon keeper yells for all of them to do stunning spells, and with all of them working together, they manage to stun the dragon so they can tighten the chains and secure them to iron pegs. Yeah, no thank you. Sounds risky. Mm-hmm. Once again, the forest at midnight turns out to be a bad call for Harry. <laughs> Who knew? Hagrid asks if Madame Maxime wants a closer look, and Harry follows them as they move up by the fence. He recognized the one wizard as Ron's brother, Charlie, who comes over to talk to Hagrid, who is about to wet his pants, mm -hmm. over what kind of breeds they have there. Charlie points out the Hungarian Horntail, the Common Welsh Green, the Blue-Gray Swedish Short Snout, and the Red Chinese Fireball. Movie Madame Maxime just goes closer on her own to get a better look. And while Hagrid hates to see her go, he loves to watch her walk away. <laughs> Harry takes the opportunity to remove the cloak from his head and begin to shit bricks as Hagrid confirms that his first quad wizard task will involve dragons. What? I just shat bricks my damn self. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Hagrid defends them, calling them seriously misunderstood creatures, which... To be fair, he calls every creature that has the capability and desire to fucking murder. As if on cue, one of the crates falls open and reveals a cage containing a large, cranky, horned fire hazard, which Hagrid admits is quite a raging asshole. He let slip that Ron nearly fainted like a little bitch when he saw them. Which he did not see them in the book. No. Harry does a double take when Ron is mentioned, asking Hagrid about him being there, and Hagrid looks shocked that Ron hadn't told him that his brother Charlie helped bring the dragons from Romania. Harry sulks and tells him Ron didn't say shit about the giant fuck-off fire breathers. Hagrid looks away awkwardly, trying to put two and two together until they are both preoccupied by even more stunning pyrotechnics. I mean, I understand the need for secrecy, but... Who in the absolute fuck thought it would be a good idea to put all the fire-breathing sky lizards in the woods? <laughs> like, was the paper factory taken? What about the fireworks emporium? Was that busy that day or what? Why didn't they store them in the library? Honest to God, where the fuck are you gonna put lizards that breathe fucking fire? I don't know. Maybe in a super flammable place. Good call. Most places you would put a dragon are, in fact, going to be flammable. 
But not when you're wizards and you could like make a spell that could hide dragons in the fucking open and then you could have a big open space where dragons are less likely to set a goddamn forest on fire. And while we're on the topic of wizards making spells and shit, where the fuck is Charlie? He's not there. Right? That's some bullshit. Charlie has a legitimate scene in this chapter, too. Mm-hmm. He gives Hagrid a hard time for bringing Madame Maxime along and calls it a really romantic date. Hmm. Then Hagrid asks if the champions have to fight the dragon, and Charlie says that he thinks they just have to get past them, mentioning that they specifically requested nesting mothers. He adds on that he doesn't envy who gets the horn tail because her back end is as dangerous as the front end, and he points out some long bronze spikes on her tail. Gee, I wonder which dragon Harry's going to get. Right? Hmm. I wonder. Book Hagrid then actually wets himself when he (laughs) notices the dragon eggs, but this prompts Charlie to sternly tell him that he counted them. (laughs) because Charlie knows. Mm -hmm. He saved him from the last dragon fiasco. Uh, Unless you were watching the movie, in which case, Charlie. Charlie. Ed Sheeran. Oh, yeah, Charlie. Mm. He then asks after Harry, having no idea he's standing right there invisible. Good thing he didn't start shit-talking. Like, Harry's gonna die when he faces these motherfuckers. <laughs> the closest he got to that was saying that he hopes Harry's still fine after facing the dragons. I mean, that's much better put than yes. the way I said it, so. He also mentions that his mom has already been freaking out about him being in the tournament, so he definitely didn't mention what the first task is. Could you imagine? <laughs> He starts talking about how sappy she got after reading that Harry still cries about his parents in that damn Rita Skeeter article. And this is the moment that Harry decides to cut and run. I would too. He's just like, I don't need to hear this. Yeah. Fire breathing death lizards. Got it. I'm going to leave now. I'm good. Thank you. Especially so he can make it back to the common room fire in time to meet Sirius. Unless you're watching the movie. In which case he already has. Though we haven't discussed how it went yet. We'll get there. We will. On his way back to the castle, he invisibly bumps right into Karkaroff, who has clearly followed Hagrid and Maxime to see what they are up to. Karkaroff has no idea what he ran into and decides to just keep on keeping on, letting Harry get away undiscovered. He makes his way to the portrait hole with less than five minutes to 1 a.m., gives the sleepy fat lady the password and climbs inside, finding a dung-bomb-free but deserted common room. He pulls off his invisibility cloak and sits by the fire to wait. Looking around, he sees the badges that the Creevy brothers had been working on now say Potter really stinks. Aw, they tried. They tried. (laughs) When he looks back at the fire, he's shocked to see Sirius's head sitting in the fireplace. So we're shitting bricks again, basically. So as I mentioned before, the movie scene starts out on Harry coming down the stairs to meet up with Sirius. He had just thrown Rita's article into the fire and starts to walk away from it, but a hissing noise catches his attention and he turns back. We see the embers of the flaming logs hiss and pop as Harry moves closer. All of a sudden, flaming Gary Oldman! Flaming Gary Oldman! (laughs) 
But in the book, since he had previously seen Mr. Diggory's head just like this in the Weasley's kitchen, it doesn't scare him. He doesn't shit bricks. He just smiles and crouches down by the hearth to ask how he is. Unless you were watching the movie. In which case, Harry has no clue what the fuck is happening. None. <laughs> None at all. He starts to ask Sirius what the actual F he is doing, but he's cut off when Sirius is like, shut the fuck up. I don't have time for your shit, kid. Did you do the thing that they said you did? Harry very emphatically denies it, and Sirius shrugs his invisible shoulders and says, he had to ask. One could say it was a burning question. Oh my god. Really? Though not one he had to ask in the book. He just believed him in the book. Though to be fair, the main reason Harry and Sirius met was because of Harry's meddling and rule breaking. Otherwise, I'm sure Sirius was just going to make some rat stew and peace out to live his life far the fuck away from Azkaban. So you really can't blame him for having doubts. I mean, yeah, that's totally fair. You know? But Book Harry had included in his letter to Sirius that he hadn't entered and Sirius just believed him. Their talk was more about checking on each other's well-being, not accusatory. Because <laughs> Sirius tells him to never mind him and instead asks how Harry is doing. Harry opens his mouth to say fine, but instead of saying fine, he talks about how no one believes he didn't enter, read a horrible shit rag of an article, Ron's being a jealous dick, and I've just learned that the first task is dragons. Oh yeah, he's totally fine. Assuming, of course, that fine does in fact mean freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. Fine. Fine. I'm fine. Completely I'm totally fine. fine. <laughs> Sirius reassures him that they can deal with dragons, but says that they haven't got long and he really has to warn him about Karkaroff being a Death Eater. He was caught by Moody, but made a deal with the Ministry of Magic to get released, and that's likely why Dumbledore wanted Moody at Hogwarts this year, to keep an eye on him. The movie's actually pretty similar. Shocking, I know. What? <laughs> Except Sirius goes on to ask about Harry's dream, specifically about the third man he mentioned. Harry said he never caught a name, just that Voldy wanted him to do a big job for him. Sirius asks what that job was, secretly hoping it was something simple like hand or blow, but knowing that it was a different type of job entirely. Mm -hmm. Harry says he doesn't know why, but Voldemort was looking to get him through this guy. But it's no big deal, because it was just a dream, right? Just a dream. Just a dream. Just sleepy time. No big deal. Sirius's firehead seems uneasy as he says, Yeah, sure, to totally a dream. Totally. But considering all the shit that's been going down lately, you know, Death Eaters at sports ball, Harry getting picked by the goblet, not to mention Harry just existing for another year at all, all those things can't be coincidences. Hogwarts isn't safe anymore, and Harry is all like, Wait, when was Hogwarts safe to begin with? Because, <laughs> I mean, let's three years have been kind of fucked. But Sirius insists that it's different than before, because y'all have some brand new dick bags added to the mix, like Igor Karkaroff, who was known to munch on murder back in the day, and Barty Crouch, who is such a dick, he sent his own son to the ban. <laughs> the ban. <laughs> munch on murder. <laughs> the book gives a little more detail to the conversation as Harry wonders if Karkaroff could be the one who put his name in the goblet. He says that he's a really good actor if he did because he sure seemed angry about it. 
Sirius says, duh, he's a good actor. He convinced the ministry not to send him to the ban. <laughs> It'll catch on, trust me. Yep. <laughs> Making it a thing. But then continues on with his next warning. Talking about reading between the lines of Rita Skeeter's article about the attack on Mad-Eye Moody. He thinks someone tried to stop Moody from getting to Hogwarts. Who would do that? We'll find out. What? Like in the movie, Sirius also brings up the murder munchers at the Quidditch World Cup, the presence of the Dark Mark. But unlike in the movie, he also mentions the Ministry of Magic witch who has gone missing, Bertha Jorkins. There's that name again. Right? <laughs> she disappeared in Albania, which is where Voldemort was last rumored to be, and she would definitely have known about the Triwizard Tournament. Or as we like to call it, the Quad Wizard Tournament. Exactly. <laughs> Harry thinks it's unlikely that she would have walked right into Voldemort, but Sirius says he knew Bertha from school, and she was a nosy idiot who would have been easy to lure into a trap. Harry wonders if Karkaroff could be there on Voldy's orders, but Sirius doesn't really think Karkaroff would go back to Voldy unless he knew he was powerful enough to protect him. He does, however, think that whoever put Harry's name in the goblet probably is hoping to attack him and make it look like an accident. What? None of us thought about that yet. Well, Harry thinks it's a good plan because they can just stand back and let the dragons do their thing. And Sirius brings up a simple spell that can overcome a dragon. But before he has the chance to tell Harry about it, they hear someone coming down the stairs and Sirius has to quickly leave the fire. Pretty much none of that conversation happened in the movie. Though Harry does hear a noise and looks up to the stairs. He turns back to Sirius's firehead when he sees no one there. He asks if either of them could have put Harry's name in the cup, and Sirius is just like, fucked if I know, kid. But whoever did it doesn't like your ass much since this contest is vicious and bitches get stitches. <laughs> Harry starts freaking out saying he isn't ready for this, and Sirius just tells him that he's shit out of luck because he doesn't have a choice. Harry hears another noise and turns toward the stairs to see the shadow of someone descending. He tells Sirius someone is coming and Sirius tells Harry to keep his friends close, which is a really weird line for that moment. Yeah, actually. I don't quite get that one either, but it doesn't work. Keep your friends close. <laughs> <laughs> there is no back and forth in the book. They hear a noise, Sirius leaves, and Harry watches as Ron comes down the spiral staircase, wondering who Harry was talking to. A little more straightforward. Mm-hmm. Harry is furious that he didn't get to hear how to get past the dragon, because that's kind of important. And he snarls that it's got nothing to do with him and asks what he's even doing down there. In the movie, it's also Ron who comes down the stairs and asks who Harry's talking to. But Harry tells him that he wasn't talking to anyone. Ron says that he heard voices. And in a rare, sassy Harry moment, he replies that Ron may be imagining things, which wouldn't be the first time. Burn. Burn. The movie definitely got the sentiment right for this scene. In the book, Ron starts to say he wondered where Harry was, but shrugs and instead says nothing. He's going to go back to bed, but Harry starts shouting at him for nosing around. Ron's face starts to match his hair. <laughs> then he tells him that he will let him get on with practicing for his next interview in peace. Harry seizes a Potter really stinks badge from the table and chucks it at Ron, hitting him right in the forehead and telling him, there, something for you to wear on Tuesday, and maybe you'll even have a scar now if you're lucky. That's what you want, right? Oh, shit. 
He storms upstairs, half expecting Ron to stop him or throw a punch, but Ron just stands there in his two short pajamas. Aww. Yeah. Harry lies awake for a long time after, and he never hears him come back up to bed. I like that way better. (laughs) In the movie, instead of Harry being the one who heads back to the dorm, Ron sneers and accuses Harry of practicing for his next interview before heading back up the stairs, which is damn near a direct quote from the book. Right? So there is that. After he leaves, Harry rushes back to the fire, but Sirius is already gone. Left without saying goodbye? What an asshole! (laughs) Good callback. Thanks. Well done. But the movie scene ends as he just watches as the Daily Prophet article about him goes up in flames. However, it then goes into that scene we previously talked about with Neville and to the dragon scene with Hagrid from there. So it's all just... Like I said, it started where it ended, ended where it middled, and middled where it began. Yeah, that. Because it is where the book chapter officially ends. Mm -hmm. So for the sake of this episode, we've covered everything. But how hard would it have been to have the movie section start out with Neville and Harry at the lake... Then go to Harry with Hagrid seeing the dragons, then having him rush back to the common room and enter from the portrait hole rather than coming down the stairs. It would have barely changed anything filming-wise, and it would have been in the more correct order. I mean, I think we both know the answer to that. Newell! (laughs) But that'll bring us to our returning actor this week, which is the only one we got, Gary Oldman. Coming back is flaming Gary Oldman. I mean, Sirius Black. That's right. Yes, that's Sirius Black. (laughs) But honestly, he got totally bilked on his actual appearance. I know. It didn't even look like him. It didn't. It was sad. He was a pile of burning logs. Yeah, you got none of the nuances of his facial expressions. mm -mm. All you got really was his voice. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. I mean, he's got a great voice. He's got a great voice, but... I would listen to that voice all day. However, I don't really want it attached to a firehead. Yeah, there's just so much greatness in Gary Oldman that for that to be the only scene that he gets in the mm-hmm. only... Like, there's barely anything we can talk about. Yeah. But Sirius's voice came through greatly. But the thing is, we heard his voice in the last episode too because he had the voiceover for the letter we've already heard his voice we heard his voice we love his voice his voice is wonderful however we got his cgi fiery log face we got his poorly cgi'd fiery log face yeah nothing really to write home about no it was definitely really disappointing though not even remotely gary oldman's fault oh no not at all of course gary oldman is so amazing he did a fantastic job as Sirius black we just wanted more of that that's all we're saying yeah So it just goes right back to what we said before. Newell! (laughs) But moving on before we get too upset about our missing Gary Oldman. (laughs) Up next is our Potter Pondering, which is, what do you think about Charlie Weasley being left out of the films completely? And also, what do you think about how the movies portrayed the head in the fireplace? Yep. You guys know our opinions. Let's hear yours. Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. Mm-hmm. We really look forward to reading them. This will bring us to our Sorting Hat story, which is from Amanda Clark. She writes, Hello, my name is Amanda. I'm a Hufflepuff married to a Slytherin. My wand is beech and phoenix feather ten and three quarters, and my Patronus is a Nebelung cat. 
Though I know it's really a panda, but Pottermore doesn't seem to have that as an option from what I've seen on the internet. Harry Potter came out when I was in middle school, but I was resistant at first to jump into the craze. It wasn't until my 16th birthday when a friend of mine begged me to pick Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone at the movie theater that I got hooked. After seeing the movie, I borrowed the first three books from another friend. I devoured them in two days. The obsession grew from there. I started going to midnight book releases, got my dad hooked on the books, went to midnight releases of the movies, and even made my local paper for waiting 10 hours in line for tickets. Now my 13-year-old niece is getting into the books and movies, she's a Slytherin, my husband is so proud, and we've been bonding over them, which is the best thing that could come from picking them up myself all those years ago. I love your podcast, and now that I've caught up, I eagerly await the next week's episode. Keep up the great work. Oh, she's so cute. Thanks, Amanda. I love that you got your niece to get into them with. And I love that you made it into your local paper for waiting 10 hours. That's pretty impressive. That's so awesome. I dig that. That's commitment. And we appreciate that kind of commitment. Thank you so much for sharing your sorting hat story with us, Amanda. Yeah, thank you. And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your sorting hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might want to share with us. You can also just message it to us over social media. And now for the trivia question. What spell does Harry use to split Cedric Diggory's bag? The first one who responds with a correct answer in the code word, hashtag brand new and all, will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes. If you don't have an Apple account, then you can just write us a recommendation on our Facebook page. Make sure to email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we will get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. You can also go to our website at JustKeepRolling.com to check out our Just Keep Rolling and Harry Potter-related merchandise for sale. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, where we post our weekly podcast episodes, cooking show episodes, vlogs, bloopers, and other random videos. If you would like to support us as a patron, you can sign up on Patreon.com slash JustKeepRolling. $2 and up a month will get you some awesome perks, like Just Keep Rolling swag, access to patron-only Facebook groups, chats, our Discord channel, virtual hangouts, and more. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. And join us next week when we talk about the first half of Chapter 20, the first task, and the corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just, just keep, keep rolling. rolling.